The opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. This is the Anime Roundtable Canada, presented by Anime North, for Sunday afternoon, December 18th, 2022. You can contact us on email, animeroundtable at gmail.com, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Anime Roundtable, and our website, animeroundtable.com. So we are now more than halfway through December. We are a week away from Christmas. And we haven't even made an attempt to begin the quota for December. So why not start now? You know, part of the problem is it's just being able to all get together properly and plan out something to sit and chat. And we still haven't accomplished it, to be quite honest. So here we are, Mike Nicholas sitting at six points. Amy Lynn Gray, Kevin Ng, they're online. We're trying, uh, we're trying a new medium to record this. We're on StreamYard. If you remember our uh, videos that we did late uh, about a year ago, we recorded those on StreamYard. We're going to start trying to do that a little more. And hopefully that'll lead to something else. Hopefully I'll be able to say more about that in the near future. But how many times have I said that? Mohammed Shamarki, we hope he'll be able to join us just a little bit later on. James Austin is absent today. Uh, he is still mourning England's loss in the quarterfinals at the World Cup. Although, it's, that's been more than a week, I think, and the, we're on that topic, the FIFA World Cup ended a couple hours ago in rather dramatic fashion as Argentina beat France in a penalty shootout. We can go on and on about that. I know we will when, um, when James and Mo were able to talk a little bit more about it. I know... Amy and Kevin aren't as big a sports fan, but I thought we'd bring that up. I'm just not and, a soccer fan. Well, that's being honest, too. Okay, I, what I like to play soccer. I don't like watching soccer. Yeah, and I'm a horrible athlete, so. But I'll watch any, I'll watch most things. I, I think throughout the, the World Cup, this is the first time we're talking since the, since the group stage three weeks ago. And Canada had just played its first game. They lost their first game. They were about to get pummeled by Croatia. And, you know, we, obviously uh, the rest of the tournament happened. 
when it comes to our fandom, of course, I think some of the talk, we joked around about Blue Lock and some of the jokes about how how uh, Blue Lock was kind of true to life in many respects when it came to the Japanese team who got to the round of 16 and lost in penalties to Croatia, who eventually got to the semifinals. And ironically, I am told by uh, uh, friends who are fans of the Blue Lock manga and who have actually looked ahead into the story, at this point, there has not been a plot that involves penalty kicks. So I think, I think we now have an idea for a plot later on for, uh, for Blue Lock, just from real life. Because the because the uh, obviously the basic events of Blue Lock kind of mirrors what happened to the to the soccer team in real life as well. Um, do you want to recap, or uh, do you want me to recap for you guys, just to give a pre- basic premise and how it all ultimately kind of relates here? Sure. Or, okay. So what what did Mo say? Imagine imagine a soccer tryout with overtones of Squid Game. That's the basic premise of Blue Lock. Basically, it's set at, in the immediate aftermath of the 2018 World Cup. And Japan got eliminated in the round of 16 again in rather spectacular fashion when they gave up a two-goal lead to Belgium, who eventually finished in third place. Ironically, they've been eliminated by teams that have finished in third place at subsequent World Cups, right? Belgium in 2018, Croatia uh, this week or a couple weeks ago. So in, the, in trying to figure out how, how the Japanese soccer team can improve, they come to this determination that it's focus on team play is sometimes to its detriment. And sometimes you have to have somebody to take the bull by the horns and just go in and score. Basically, it lacked, it lacked some ego. To that end, some, someone there decides that their best, pro, their best hope of ever winning the World Cup or getting anywhere in, those, in, in the tournament is to develop a world-class striker. And in, and to that end, they in trying to do so, they decide to pit the best high school soccer strikers to a squid game-like contest or a squid game-like training camp, putting putting three hundred of the best best high school uh, soccer players. I know I keep using the word soccer, but just work with me here. We're in North America, it's okay, Mike. Uh, yeah, well, I wonder, yeah, and of course we do wonder who listens outside of it, right? Japan uses soccer as well, uh, generally, at least when they translate to English. So if they're, if they are referring to the sport to an English speaker, usually they'll use the word soccer, at least from my experience. So it works. Yeah, and I think they, and I think that's actually, they actually use the, the Japanese uh, phoneticized word, soccer. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah actual name of the of the uh, JFA, right? In the actual Japanese name of the JFA. Anyway, where was I? Yeah, and basically put them through the challenges 
And if you and anyone who fails the challenges, well, they don't die, but they do get their soul basically sucked out of them because every one of them who go into the contest goes in on the promise that if they fail, they will never play soccer again. It is such it, it, it's it's such a horrible death. I think a lot of these uh, players, so to speak, are going to experience. Because, you know, it's just fun to, fun. It might be fun (laughs) to watch a lot of these characters' dreams die. So that's that's the basic premise. Sadly, um, as much as I found the whole premise of uh, Blue Lock interesting, I've still, to this point, only been able to get through two episodes. I have not had time to watch any more of the anime. And... And hopefully I'll be able to provide the link and you guys will see it before it expires. Apparently, if you're interested in reading the, ba- the manga, Humble Bundle is offering an ebook version of the first 10 volumes of the manga as part of a Kodansha uh, bundle. And I think if you're willing to pay, I think somewhere in the neighborhood of $25 Canadian for it, you'll get those first 10 volumes among uh, as, along with a, another bunch of other titles not complete series though but at least it's a good cross-section of stuff what the that kodansha think has been worthwhile because i think they called the read the anime bundle Hmm. the read the anime of 2022 bundle so i'll put a link to that later on so there's uh the basic premise and and right now in light of the world cup it might be the perfect uh, anime to recommend to your to sports fans who you know might have been, you know, into Squid Game as well, or Hunger Games, or Battle Royale, or those type of shows. So we remember when we had that conversation a month ago about starter anime and when and how we felt. Uh, many of us uh, were amused by the list that Anime Underground put out. Maybe this is uh, maybe this is something uh, worth adding to our lists in, in case you want to recommend something to you know the most casual of us or the most curious a uh, uh, curious person into who might not know too much about anime might be worth showing them. This would be a good title, I guess. Okay. So uh, so to peel or to um, maybe face through the fourth wall a little bit, um, in the pre-show, um, Mike did explain to me the premise of Blue Lock. Um, however, um, he did not preface this with the fact that Blue Lock was an anime or manga. So because I knew vaguely that Samurai Blue was some real-world Japanese soccer thing, as he was explaining the premise... I thought that that was actually what Japan was doing um, after like the 2018 World Cup. Oh, like, you thought it was a true story. I thought it was completely like, I thought Blue Lock was just the name of like the program that Japan had put in place <laughs> in order to do better. It was way after the end of the story when you like, I, th- I guess you mentioned anime or manga. I was like, oh, Blue Lock's the name of a show. Because, you know, I knew Samurai Blue mostly because of um, one of the Owen Don games has a soccer level and Samurai Blue, the song is playing. But I knew because of that, oh, that's what Japan calls their soccer thing. I I am so glad you used the term Samurai Blue. Okay, Samurai Blue is the nickname of the the, um, 
Japanese national men's soccer team. That's yeah. the nickname a lot of its fans give it. That's the nickname a lot of the um, English media give it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. It might be something that the JFA might have done themselves as a marketing thing. And I think the name actually started becoming she uh, a thing in 2006. Yeah, so they actually released a, a single called Samurai Blue. I have the CD. Yeah, actually. that's the song that was in Owen Dawn that I was mentioning. So Owen Dawn is a Nintendo rhythm game. Um, mm. And like it's like, if you know Elite Beat Agents, um, it's similar to that. There's cheerleaders. Um, in Japan, it's Owen Dawn cheerleaders. In English, it's Secret Agents. Um, but in one of the Japanese versions, which I purchased um, either when I was in Japan or imported, um, Samurai Blue is one of the songs. So that was my introduction to it. And then over the course of the years, probably through listening to this podcast, um, I became aware of Samurai Blue as, you know, reference to the real, you know, Japanese soccer team. So I heard Blue Lock and figured, oh, it's locking in the Samurai Blue for the next generation. It's making sure that, you know, locked in, it's making sure they're good, you know, soldiers slash athletes. Oh boy, um, I'm so, so yeah. sorry. No, I'm no, so it, sorry. I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's disappointing because I'm kind of glad that Japan isn't stripping children of their dreams any, <laughs> any well, more than they, they any more than they do culturally already. Which <laughs> is, is, and by that statement, I didn't mean culturally, not. I didn't mean yeah. <laughs> I mean, like it's it's a unfortunately like a reasonable leap. Um, when I was thinking about it, like it seemed extreme, but like not completely out of the realm of possibilities. If they chose like 300 of the most elite and it's like, you, you got to risk it. Um, I don't know if you could do that legally, but um, like in the real world, probably not. Um, but yeah, that was <laughs> a great fiction. But the, the, the sometimes, uh, you know, uh, real life is stranger than fiction. Yeah, with how with how strict their high school exam or entrance exams are, like you never know. Yeah, that's that's probably a fair point. Elisa, you know it in real life, and I know <laughs> more through fiction. So you that coming from you, I, I believe that statement. It's the the irony is that as Japan progressed through the tournament, key points like okay, and. I'll preface this by now now by saying in the real life tournament this year, (laughs) (laughs) key point, key moments in Japan's games was they would substitute out their strikers and then they would score key goals. Hmm. This was the story of their two wins, actually, because they were able to um, come out hot in the second half of their game of their wins or the games that they won by substituting their strikers. And they end up figuring into the goals. Yeah, they know when to oh. they know when to switch Pokemon. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to. Pokemon. I know it's too early for a segue, but it no, seemed no, no, no. it, it it's seemed be a great segue actually. That's it, that, it seemed that really apt. Like that is what like professional Pokemon players do with the games. Like it's all about like strategic switching of of different pokemon so like mm-hmm. it was it was interesting just imagining them sort of calling back the player and then sending out the stronger one for the situation like yeah well that's sort of what happened in the in the final earlier today too in many respects right france threw the kit through the kitchen sink at uh at argentina and were able to tie it when they went when they were down two goals and looked very much down and out so yeah that's sort of what happened and then so 
the idea that Blue Lock was real was <laughs> trending for a time as well, I think, among the fandom. <laughs> so there's there's the premise. And I'm sorry I didn't clarify <laughs> it's actually fictional. I'm so sorry. No, it's funny. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Like, until you get to a certain point, the story sounds believable. Um, There's some, lots of aspects. Yeah. The thing is, the thing is, in some of the marketing that the JFA did, they did involve, and, and I, I forget the uh, creator of uh, Blue Lock, uh, the creator's name. I'll look that up right now. Uh, Yusuke Nomura. They asked uh, Nomura to draw a few promotional pieces and for for um, the JFA, and they licensed the likeness of their uniform for the World Cup to him, and he was he was allowed to draw draw pieces for that. Oh, cool! And they and I think they did they coordinated quite a fair amount of marketing with him uh, in the lead up to the World Cup. So that's how. Let, let's just say, uh, let's just say, maybe it's uh, it's not it, it's a rough story to listen to and watch, I guess. But clearly, clearly the uh, the JFA, or at least seemingly the JFA, uh, had nothing against the uh, you know the whole story. Thought it was interesting. <laughs> it's shown a, I guess it's shown a light on them. Although I wonder if if they believe in the idea that you know. There's no such thing as bad publicity. I don't know what to make uh, make of that uh, arrangement sometimes. Or maybe it is because that it is a hot title right now. It is a one of the more talked about titles at least right now. Much, much like Japan crushing the dreams of its children, I also weirdly I mean sort of you know better light. Uh, I can't see Japan shifting from its teamwork focus. Um, both culturally and, and then also, you know, on a school or on a team level, like, you know, their level of, you know, let's all work together to overcome our goals is like another sort of deeply ingrained thing, which I think is wonderful. Um, so like, you know, I'm sure, you know, they kind of like a superstar, but I don't think it would work the same way as it does in other countries. I mean, I don't know much about sports, but um, I don't no. think they would have a superstar in the same way. You know, you had me, as you said that, it did have me thinking. And and I thought this as I was watching the initial, like, the first two episodes and thought about it a little deeper. In some ways, maybe it does put into question Japan's own societal norms. Right? Like, is this the way Japan is going and maybe more importantly, is this the way Japan wants to go? I, like that, I, those type of thoughts came into my head as I was watching this. I will say in basketball, it's largely a star based system in the right. NBA. If you don't right. have the one or two superstars that carry the team, your chances of winning the NBA championship are extremely low. Yeah, that's that's see some respects that was the narrative with the Toronto Raptors three years ago too. Not somewhat. It it was somewhat. the narrative. We didn't well, have the one player that could just carry us. And I'm sorry, like yes, Van Vliet is good. 
and I'm forgetting all those names now, which I'm actually <laughs> pretty disappointed that I am. But it, like, Lowry was good, but they just were not good enough to carry the team to the very and end they, until we got Kawhi Leonard. End of yeah. story. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's that. why Masai Ujiri will be the basketball Jesus of our city until the end of time. Yeah, that's one way to put it. I mean, part of the narrative was none of the players, none of the key players, or yeah, no one on that team was a lottery pick, I believe, if memory serves me right. Because so, we, because LeBron always curb stomped us whenever we mm-hmm. eventually got to face him. And quite honestly, that's that's the other reason why we won too, because we didn't have to play LeBron. Or, 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 or Durant, for that matter. Um, when it comes to sort of your question about like, Japan society changing through manga, I or fictional media in general. Um, I guess that is a point. Like, I guess I, I can see that being a thing, but I'm very disheartened if it does go in a apparently blue lock for egotism or um, Shin Godzilla slash Attack on Titan direction for militarism. Like, I mean, military is a little bit more of a touchy subject to North Korea and Russia right now. Um, but, you know, in general, I'm all about peace. Um, but like, it's still like oh, yeah. a little bit disheartening about like, yeah, let's go build up our army and have egos um, instead of, you know, let's have, you know, better human rights laws and better gay marriage laws and all that kind of stuff. Um, yes. And we know that there's been some developments there in Japan, but yeah, the good old yeah, Japan right. slow kind of development. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of give and take. Look. And even like imm- they, immigration, they need reforms on and like race, like not racism, but like xenophobia, um, integration of, you know, biracial, like with um, what happened with Osaka years ago, um, with all the racism and weirdness oh. that she fought. Like Japan, like there's so many like, possibilities for manga anime to to do that um but everything is on the fringes like there are great indie films i wish i could um remember it but there's this amazing indie film um about like a black japanese person um it's like a a short film i think um i'll try to find it and um give it to mike for the show notes um but there's so much that is starting to leak in and leak out but it's still like fringes like everything mainstream is still kind of holding the line and you know it's it's a shame to some degree um hopefully the the sort of counterculture isn't this sort of um you know isn't taking away the benefits of or the you know the um you know the virtues of japanese society instead of challenging the the you know sins or the the challenges that it has like it's yeah it's from what you said i'm i'm scared because i haven't seen as many you know let's challenge what we need to work on instead of let's challenge what you know the xenophobic conservative government or politicians want to challenge yeah i guess it's for me it's i guess you know a pick and choose and i think it's okay to have these conversations yeah, I mean, Shin Godzilla is one of my favorite movies, like maybe not even just Japanese movies. I think it's, it's great incredible. Movie. Great but, movie. It's, but it is also a little bit shirt-tugging as far as like, you know, the some of the um, the 
I guess, military messages, but I think Shin Godzilla does it in a much better way than Attack on Titan, um, because Shin Godzilla seems more nuanced and like thought-provoking versus something like Attack on Titan, which is more fictional, um, is more like directly like, you know, let's form an army kind of thing. And, you know, there's lots of debate about how on purpose that was, um, but, you know, it's... Yeah. When you say like when I think about what I read about the origins of Godzilla, how it kind of came about and how it was, you know, out of some of the thoughts that happened in the post immediate post-war era. Right? And and, nucle- and specifically nuclear weapons. Like I, there's a certain like almost realism. Right? But but just a more real conversation there, right? Because that conversation concerning Godzilla has always existed. Uh, Shin Godzilla is so real. Like, you know, spoilers for the first 30 minutes, but like the biggest enemy of the entire movie, but especially that first chapter, is the fact that bureaucracy in the Japanese government causes so much damage. And that progresses, you know, throughout, you know, some of the movie. But I love just the conversation that like, you know, it's this Godzilla movie and you have people in a boardroom going like, well, it came from the ocean. So this is really the Department of Fisheries, right? And they're like, oh, yes, that makes sense. We should contact them. Okay, let's get them on the line. Meanwhile, you know, a Godzilla movie is happening, mm-hmm. you know, off camera. It's brilliant. Um, and that, like, knowing hey. Japan, this is what would happen. Like, either that or the U.S. would like just take over instantly. But like, if, if that oh, didn't mm-hmm. happen, I think this is how Japan would operate. Like, I love Japan. It still uses fax machines. It does well, like it goes slowly. Like when you, as you said all of that, you made me remember that not too long ago, Japan had a cabinet minister whose portfolio concerned technology, and said cabinet minister didn't even own a smartphone <laughs> or was computer literate or something That's like Japan that. Japan for you. Yeah, and in all of this, and on the topic of fiction, maybe projecting the future, and this is maybe a reach, but maybe a way to end it off, and then maybe we can talk about, you know, fiction, a, a key point in a, a key checkpoint in in our fandom and an era ending. This is a reach, but I, I but hear me out for a couple minutes. I think of show like some of the thoughts that from a show like Chobits or the latter stages of the GTO manga. If you remember those, if anyone read them and remembers them, remember Chobits was about, or, or one of the subplots of Chobits was about people's addictions to Persilcoms, to their, to their little robots who acted to their little robots that acted as, you know, personal assistance. Or pad. Like computers. Yeah. But, and that was in the early aughts. But it, in some respects, may have predicted what's going on in the, in the smartphone era now. In the latter stages of GTO, I don't know if either of you read the manga. I didn't get around to reading my set yet. No. Okay, a- Amy, um, I know, were you around when Yama showed the anime? I don't think so. Okay. And and this wasn't depicted in the anime, but 
in the latter, uh, and maybe this is a spoiler right now for people who have not read the GTO manga, but I'll, I'm going to just, just, just indulge me for a minute. One of the latter, one of the final plots or final storylines in GTO was when the school got taken over by a young administrator. And she gave everybody, and remember, this is like late 90s, early aughts as well, probably. She gave the entire student body free PDAs, basically Palm Pilots, right? And then they were internet connected. Everyone seemed to love them. And it had message boards and stuff, right? But then at a point... Got, um, message, the message boards that the PDAs were connected to started to, like, spread gossip about certain students. And it started to make for a toxic, toxic school. And Onizuka had to deal with that in the latter stages. Does it sound familiar already? Did this happen in the live action? It wasn't depicted in the live action. It was not, okay. I thought it maybe did, but then I guess not. Because I did watch the live action. Okay. But 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 you, you kind of get where I'm going with this, right? So, you know, Onizuka had to kind of deal with that and how how all the how how the rumors kind of messed up messed up things and how he has to fix that. So just a thought. Thought for uh, though thought for how fiction kind of ha- kind of is a mirror or maybe a look ahead to certain things, rightfully or wrongfully. It's interesting because like cyberbullying is such a huge thing here in at least in Canada, right? Imagine North America in general. Um, I'm sure it exists in Japan, but the difference oh. but the difference here, like I'm I'm sure, especially due to you know something we'll probably talk about in subsequent weeks. But like the main difference or the main sort of like small little buffer Japan has is that they don't have um, smartphones or Internet access for that kind of thing during school hours. Right. Like it's um, only, you know, at home. So there is, you know, a significant shorter period of time that they have to dedicate to cyberbullying versus here in Canada, they can cyberbully 24-7 if they really wanted to, um, unless they're in gym class or in a pool or something, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's, you know, quite a bit more time, um, you know, but it, it is a, sort of a fantastic, or not fantastic, it's an impressive, you know, prediction, because, you know, in like the 90s, or even like the early 2000s, I'm sure with, you know, um, the Tech or the platforms I've heard tales of like ICQ or things like um, AOL or MSN that I kind of grew up with, um, plus message boards in general, sure, bullying happened. But like once smartphones took over um, with, you know, the PDAs were kind of this like promise of a smartphone that didn't exist yet. Um, it's, it's, I think, great prediction power. I really wanted a PDA. <laughs> I- you know what i i i i remember i had a palm pilot <laughs> that's long gone because it was a it was regular it was triple a battery powered i wanted a windows one because they had word and i'm like i can write with it like it was <laughs> yeah it was very funny i never wanted a pda 
when I was younger. But though I am I am younger than both of you, but huh? I am younger than both of you, but the PDA was never very appealing <laughs> to me. I it was a I I I just like like the idea, so I you know was one of those adopters but it was when it was another like a later generation i mean what i always wanted was a tablet but they didn't exist at that point because like I, when i say i wanted a pda i wanted a windows pda with a keyboard so i wanted a lightweight laptop um so uh, you know mm-hmm. but that, that didn't exist at that point right like um yeah. and like you know my dream of i'd like a, a tablet to draw on didn't really exist until like the iPad and even at the onset of the iPad, you kind of had to Frankenstein it with like a weird, you know, pencil that didn't give, you know, pressure or, you know, a lot of accuracy. Um, yeah. So like it's in- technology sometimes needs time to catch up. So <laughs> you'll get there, Google Glass. Oh, just uh, just as a quick aside on the topic of Japan and cyberbullying, um, just to go back for a couple seconds and then we'll move on because I know we'll, I, I do want to talk about this, but I only read about it last night. Um, Hannah Kimura's mother, you remember the story of Hannah Kimura, right? The, uh, the Japanese women's wrestler who appeared on Terrace House. Oh yeah. And through some various incidences and the way she was, portrayed in that show she would led to a bunch of cyberbullying which eventually drove her to kill herself two years ago i think it was yeah well there's a the late there is a late a new development in that story um kyoko kimura hannah kimura's mother has has announced intention to file a lawsuit against various parties concerning her daughter's death, one of them being Fuji Television. And I think the other producers behind Terrace House. So there's some, there, there's a new development there. I know we'll talk about that as that proceeds. Because this is a topic. So is Terrace House because as a, as a pop culture thing at the time. And there's, and just for the record, I will be shocked if it returns in any form. Even though I really enjoyed it at the time, but just want to make that put that out there in case anyone who had who forgot about the story but were curious about it, and I thought I'd bring that up. Okay, didn't want to be too long today because uh, we all have other things to do. Seriously, it is it is the Christmas season, so we all have our other stuff to eventually do. It's been busy. But there are a few things that did catch our attention. Well, maybe one big thing that caught our attention. So, what was it? This week? Was it this week? Yeah. We started to learn a little bit about what's coming up in Pokemon fiction, or in the Pokemon story. Specifically the anime, yeah. And specifically the anime, and words started to come out that or the announcement was made that they're going to retire Ash and Pikachu finish their story and then pass it off to to two new protagonists this is going to end an era that's existed for the better part of 25 years the perpetual 10-year-old Ash Ketchum or Satoshi going to be retired like i said an end of an era many of the, our current fandom 
literally grew up with Pokemon. So this is kind of a significant development. And I know the thing is I'm old. <laughs> I'm up there enough, but to younger fans like Amy, like Kevin, like they, 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 they kind of grew up a lot more with, uh, with, um, Ash and Pikachu. Not kinda. We did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm trying to be, you know. I know. I would think with a younger generation, Ash and Pikachu holds a little bit more of an emotional attachment here. And I wanted to give um, the others a chance to exp- to tell us what that meant, what that means. Because I, from my perspective, I know this is an end of an era but I can't say I would fully grasp it at this point at my age. But I, but there's been expressions of, you know, there's been some expressions of sadness to know that, that this story is about to end and some melancholy. So I just want to start to understand that a little bit. Um, Kevin, Amy, where do you want to, uh, either one of you want to say this or where do you want to start? Because I don't know who wants yeah, to go first. Yeah, it's 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 the one of the problems with starting is that it's so big, right? Um, so I was ten in nineteen ninety eight. So I was more or less directly targeted for um, the Pokemon craze um, when it first started. Um, I happened to have a Nintendo Power subscription. Um, they previewed Ooh. Pokemon before it was a craze. Like when it was just coming out in Japan, there were like tiny little articles, like three inches, you know, long that said, oh yeah, there's this Pokemon pocket monster Pokemon thing in Japan. Maybe it'll come here. Um, and eventually they had a Poke- um, Pokemon power insert to the magazine, which was, you know, not really a strategy guide, but like a little um, fun magazine, just introducing readers to the concept of Pokemon. Um, they had a little um, anim- anime comic, so, you know, screenshots from the anime's first episode that they ran through five or six issues, I think. Um, so, like, I was I was really, like, engaged even before, you know, the, the show or the anime came out. Like, I was, you know, desperate to, like, find out, you know, oh, is YTV going to carry it? When is YTV going to carry it? I know it's not... Kids WB, but hopefully we're not too far behind. When can I watch it? Um, I remember, you know, because back then games came out in Canada a few days later. So during the release week, I was um, always, you know, excited. Like, you know, did my grandfather pick it up for me? And I have a really sweet memory of him reaching behind the chair when, you know, he originally said no, but he couldn't, you know, keep a straight face. And I was excited with my old Game Boy, no light. So, yeah, anyways. Um, so I still love Pokemon. Um, when I was first visiting Japan, I have a sort of funny story about how I entered the Pokemon Center for the first time. But when it comes to the anime specifically, um, I think this actually goes beyond like an end of an era discussion. Um, and kind of like, like, to be honest, I'm baffled, um, in a sense, like the, the current story of the anime, 
Um, so for those of you who don't know, the basic structure of the Pokemon anime um, for so many years had been replicating the current generation or region of the games. So in the original, he was going through Kanto. So, um, you know, the eight badges there, um, and they usually do a little bit of playing things fast and loose with the Elite Four and the um, championships. Um, but they go through the regions, meet all the characters that are in the games for the most part. Um, and then there's sometimes a little bit of a filler season uh, if there's a, you know, if they need to, if they need time. Um, but that went on until essentially, um, I guess, the seventh um generation we're at nine yeah so until the seventh generation so sun and moon um is when all of a sudden this stopped and ash didn't um go through the the um the challenges of that region instead they set up ash at a school the art style changed it was more dynamic more experimental the types of stories they were telling were a little bit different it wasn't the same adventure um they were had a home base on one of the islands so this was the alola region um, based on hawaii um and that was kind of the first indication of oh things are changing with this series interesting um and then the next season which um is you know the one that's you know we're pretty much wrapping up right now um they also changed the anime's format again so instead of going through galar the region based off of england so the eighth generation they had ash with a new protagonist named go no relation to pokemon go i'm sure um and they went to every single region, depending on where the the writing would take them. So the first episode, they're in Kanto, and um, they they see Lugia, who is a generation two Johto Pokemon, but whatever. Um, you know, they'll go to different regions. They'll meet Ash's friends um, and uh, people he's met from different regions in certain episodes. They saw Mewtwo once, like um, Go, whose or whose goal was catching all the Pokemon, versus Ash, whose goal was continuing to be a Pokemon master and training all the Pokemon. Go was catching legendary Pokemon. He caught Suicune. He caught Regieleki. He was catching, I think, a shiny Voltorb. Like, he was catching hundreds of Pokemon, essentially, and filling this um, this sort of domed um, zoo sort of thing the professors um, in that region um, sort of set up. So there is, like, so many unique things that they were doing in this season um with like the setup um you know ash's team was relatively like strong he had dragonite he had gangar the new surfetched um so a fight two fighting types he had lucario lucario being essentially one of the secondary mascot pokemon after pikachu and charizard you know featured in smash brothers um there was so much like oh wow they're doing a lot um and then it all culminated in Ash beating the Pokemon League for the first time since, well, last season, technically. Um, but, you know, not just the Pokemon League, but it was a world champion. So um, the undefeated character from the Galar games, um, you know, he beat so many other or he beat several other champions. So, you know, Ash's, you know, um, 10 years of age, 25 years of experience, dream employee journey came to an end and he won and in that win pikachu faints for a moment and sees all of ashes at first it's the original pokemon so it's 
um, Charizard and Bulbasaur and Squirtle and Butterfree. Um, and then it expands to all of Ash's Pokemon that he's caught in the previous um, uh, adventures. And that gives Pikachu the courage to um, get up and fight. And so all of this was leading people to basically start saying, huh, Ash is, Ash has kind of done it at this point, hasn't he? What what are they going to do next? Are they just going to have him be beat by a level five Pokemon again like they did in the fifth generation? Are they going to have him be a mentor to new characters? Like what's going to happen? Um, because previously, Ash is a moneymaker. Like being perpetually 10 you can continue to sell Ash and Pikachu merchandise, and we'll get to Pikachu in a second, um, into infinity um, and use Ash as this like anchor point for Japanese children and to a lesser degree, international children. They know who he is. They know what his deal is. And then to have all of that suddenly stop is like, it has an emotional impact for, for people of Kevin and my age, because, you know, we've seen this, you know, 25 year journey, but like for someone who just started watching at age, you know, eight or nine, they've only maybe seen a few years unless they got really obsessed into reruns. Um, so Japan and the Pokemon companies lost something perpetual. Um, so on that level, I'm baffled, but they're also like, I think a lot of people wanted them to take a risk and take things in a more mature direction, like some of the um, sort of smaller anime, like 10-minute episodes, like Pokemon Generations and Pokemon Origins. They're not going to do that. That was a treat for people in their 20s and 30s. Um, but yeah, it's it's so fascinating. There is going to be an 11-episode epilogue anime starting in January before the new protagonists begin. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, and I guess another historical note is for the 20th Pokemon movie, um, I guess that would have been in 2017 or so. Um, they did have a secondary continuity for, I think, two or three movies where it's a different Ash origin story um, separate from the mainstream anime. Uh, but yeah, that was a lot of history and talking. If you have specific questions, I'm sure Kevin and I, I don't can <laughs> know where to go. To be quite honest, because I see, I can only I can't speak to the plot. I can speak a little bit for maybe save a thought for some of the people, some of the actors. Right, Kevin? What would you, is there something you want to add to all of this? I, I, I really don't know. I mean, what else to add at this point? Honestly, I was surprised, too, that the uh, Ash or Satoshi in Japanese era is ending. I didn't really believe it for a while because it's been so ingrained that he's the main character that, oh, you know, I'll be 50 and he'll still be 11 <laughs> or 10. Hmm made it to my 30s and this is happening and once i saw the news of the new protagonist i thought huh i guess they really are and i guess they won't just stick ash like you know maybe a few episodes in because some anime have done that in the past too yeah where they tout the new protagonist the new protagonist and then the original protagonists come back you know like gundam seed destiny but 
it's you know it's a bit bittersweet uh for me i stopped watching pokemon at around season 14 so i stopped watching it regularly at around 2012 i want to say and i think i i did i think i didn't finish the diamond and pearl anime seasons i got through like most of it i was aware of the school format for the sun and moon leg of the series did not know that that was what happened with the latest seasons with go i knew go was the secondary main character at that point but i didn't know that was the dynamic i actually assumed they were in the gallery region the whole time so that was very for me yeah uh i think i do need to go back and watch those last episodes that aired uh you know, for me, it was the anime first. I didn't see any of that those news bits back in the day. It was just it popped up on TV, and uh, and here I am now. Yeah, played through pretty much all the mainline games except for Gen Five. The uh, best one. Yeah, you it's skipped, funny you story about the that. Best one. <laughs> so funny story about this. Uh, by by the by the end of Platinum, I was pretty burnt out of Pokemon, so I had taken a break. I actually still bought the games on release for the most part. I think I bought at least one of the games on release. But then uh, I think I bought like Black, and then I bought White 2 is how I went about it. And then, so I needed to take my break from Pokemon for a bit, just because I... Because usually when I play Pokemon, I, I always try to complete the Pokedex, but then would always uh, be like 15 to 20 Pokemon short before I just burnt out. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I went on a trip to Seattle that year, and I was, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to either finally play Pokemon Black, or I'm going to play 999, because 999 had come out for the DS not too long oh, ago at that okay. time. And then... For whatever reason, I just picked 999, and I and I love the fran- that franchise to this day, and and then just never played Gen Five as a result. I ended up playing uh, XY, and I did play Sun Moon. I'm only starting Sword Shield now because I wanted to see if they can patch the the stuff in Scarlet and Violet before I started. And plus, um, I felt compelled to just show my niece sword and shield first <laughs> as well or it always has to talk it always comes back to your niece yeah I just, you know weave them all together they're young right and then you know it's i think it's a good thing ultimately that they're making this change because <clears throat> sometimes you do need to freshen it up a little bit like how amy was describing those recent developments from the last few seasons I remember hearing at one point where Team Rocket was competent. I don't remember what seasons those were, though. So they yeah, they, they from... had black or gray costumes for a little bit. Um, they were, yeah, slightly more competent. Um, weird stuff with Team Rocket. Like, for a while, they weren't allowed to have their own Pokemon except for Wobbuffet. Um, oh. Yeah, it was this weird structure with the anime like Wait. even with Wobbuffet like it usually wouldn't like be seen coming out of the ball so it was more like Meowth Wait where was um, Meowth then? No Meowth was there. I, oh, I consider okay. Meowth a character rather than a Pokemon for the <laughs> most part. 
Um, but yeah, it's weird. And like you reminded me, um, you know, just with that, with the changing structure, um, you know, as, as I mentioned, like, you know, there's been these little changes every so often, but like, you know, not all of them were successes. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, there, a lot of people dropped off on the anime for, you know, plenty of good reasons throughout the years. But it's not for people who have watched, and, you know, it's not targeting, you know, adults. Yeah. More or less. Like we, for me, it was just because I think what happened was I was pretty diligent up until season 14. And then finally I couldn't, uh, I started working on weekends and I just couldn't, I couldn't catch it in the morning. And then the VCRs only work so well before the, the tapes start running out. And then I just never got around to buying a DVR player. So then fell behind. So, so the main, I think I stopped watching sort of routinely about the same time. So after advance, um, mm. but I think it's interesting that this also lines up with, and I think I'll talk about this after I kind of address Mike's question um, or statement. Um, I think it lines up with the advent of the internet because I think one of the main reasons why I stopped watching is because I could just get all the spoilers um, from Cerebi.net or yep. from eventually later on Twitter. It's like, oh, Ash beat this person or Ash caught that. Cool. I don't need to watch the episode because it's, you know, until Sun and Moon, essentially. Actually, previous, I think X and Y had some interesting story stuff. But, you know, essentially until Sun and Moon, like it wasn't, a you know, interestingly written show like it was a kid's show um but anyways i did want to address mike's statement um and just you know talking a little bit about you know the you know what's being lost um and i excuse pronunciation but um that is uh rika matsumoto um the historical veronica taylor at this point and i think sarah um something sarah not a penny yeah, not in Shenny. Um, you know, the voices of Ash, at least in Japan and, you know, uh, North American English speakers. Um, and plus, you know, countless other countries. Like there are probably a couple different French actors, a half a dozen Spanish actors, Portuguese, um, you know, Indian languages, um, probably even at this point, Korean, Chinese, um, that are not necessarily losing a job. I'm sure they'll try to find um, <clears throat> places for them. But like, it's an end of an era for them too. And I think, you know, at least the two English voices have posted, you know, sort of statements about sort of it being an end of an era and being, you know, a powerful, um, you know, moment for them as well. Sarah's video is pretty emotional, yeah. even though I didn't, I wasn't with her nearly as long. Actually, no, almost as long. I'd say, like, eh. a th- I'd say about a third of a third of uh, what I watched was with Sarah voice acting it, and then the other two thirds was Veronica. Hmm. The other name I'd like to bring up is Ikui Otani. Ah, uh, yes, Pikachu. Pikachu's gonna be fine. They're gonna either have like the protagonist Liko or whatever her name is. It should have been Rika to honor Rika Matsumoto. Um, mm-hmm. But like, it's Which she's gonna be Ash's. Eating. She's gonna be Ash's kid, or like she's just gonna yeah, like catch his, is, that, catch another Pikachu. Pikachu uh, will be fine. 
And yeah, and even then, they'll still have promotional material with Pikachu, where they'll have Rike Noe voice acting. Yeah, is well, obviously, all with all these actors, they've gone on to other other jobs as well. Obvious, but these are this is, these are roles that they're that def, that are very defining for them. Has um, do we know of any statements that either Matsumoto or uh, Otani have made in relation to this announcement? Are we aware of any? I don't think so. If you go to the press releases and, you know, the various wikis, the voice actors for the new characters haven't been announced yet. So I would expect that on the Japanese side, things will be quiet until those announcements are made. Okay. Because I've heard, I've one, I'm curious about the reaction. One, I I spoke, I spoke to Lawrence a couple days ago at work and he wondered, you know, how, how he kind of speculated maybe is, how is Otani feeling about this? Which I thought was an interesting statement, an interesting way for him to, that was his reaction. Right. So, you know, not much has been said. I'm not aware of anything publicly said by, by, by uh, Rika Matsumoto or Ikui Otani. So I thought I'd bring that up and remember, um, Pikachu's had the same voice all the way through. Yeah, there were a few um, episodes, in, and that includes in English. So it is her voice in the English episodes, and most of the international, if not all of them. There were a few moments in the English version where, which for whatever reason, I think Rachel Lillis ended up voicing Pikachu. And you can really tell um, that it's someone else. But yeah, aside from that, in you know almost every instance of Pikachu uttering the line Pikachu or Pika P, which translates to Satoshi or Ash. Um, there's, it's, it's been her, um, including the Smash Brothers games, um, lots of toys, um, the Let's Go games, uh, games which fe- feature Pikachus as an audio instead of the, you know, digitized cry. Um, yeah. Let's go on and on. So I thought, there you go. I, 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 it's just, it's just interesting all timing. I mean, latest game has just come out. I know that. It's weird timing because like, it's the ninth generation. I figured, you know, this would be a good one for number 10, but I guess, you know, we've crossed the thousand Pokemon barrier. Um, it's weird that this is happening in Pokemon Spain. I would have, you know, thought maybe they would have wait, waited till like a return to Japan or something like that. But I guess marketing and business decisions trump you know, narrative stuff. Don't worry, I won't say it. I won't say it right now. <laughs> well, you think in theory that they could have kept it the way it was and it was fine. Yeah, that's that's sort of interesting now that you brought it up, right? There isn't... Well, we... How much in the way of perpet- of evergreen characters do you see in anime? Or do we just move on? Naruto and Boruto. I think Pokemon is <laughs> I think when it comes to Pokemon it's in an interesting place where um it could have had new characters every season, like your pretty cures or common riders, but it went on long enough that that would have been weird by the time they got to the third or fourth generation. They just I figured think, like, oh, yeah, I guess not. You know what? If they tried this move any earlier, I think it could have been a to its detriment. Yeah. 
I, I, it's it's happening now that it's happening. I guess that's going to be. Will it be to its detriment? That'll be a conversation now. And I think it's too early to tell. To be that's honest, the that's the thing. I think we we want to let the melancholy, the bittersweet, bittersweet feelings, the shock, if there if shock is the word. I think we want to let those feelings subside first, and then maybe we can start to, you know, analyze it. And and as that day moves closer, as we start to see the epilogue. See, I always thought that even when you still had Ash or Satoshi as the main character, you had plenty of supporting cast members and gym leaders and other NPCs from the anime or in the video games for fans to ship and create fan art of or whatnot. So it's it's just kind of interesting to see them change it up to this degree. There's like quotes from, I think, a director or writer or something that says, oh, they switch the girls every season so the boys have something new to look at. And it's like, ha ha ha. <laughs> That's, you know, the target audience is seven. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> but like they care about Charizard. They don't care about May in a swimsuit. Um, but like, so yeah, lots of problematic stuff there. There's a lot of like when you look into the writers and producers and stuff. But like, um, and the incredibly sad story about the head writer, um, who who passed early on. I think around after the or around the time of the third movie. Um, I don't know his name right now, but like very tragic um, addiction and you know stuff like that. But like, um, it is interesting. There was another um, person high up on the animation or the anime team. Um, who I think just a few years ago said something, there's a quote similar to, um, oh, if Ash becomes Pokemon master, the story ends. And sure enough, you know, maybe he's not a Pokemon master right now. That's what Gary asks in the, um, um, or Shigeru, um, named after Miyamoto, um, in the Japanese version. That's what he asked at the beginning of the the trailer for like the new series and the epilogue and sort of the, the promotional video that was released, he has the quote, oh, now that you're champion, are you, does that mean you're close to being a Pokemon master? Um, which is a, a great sort of, it's a great promotional video. In the Japanese version, they play aim to be a Pokemon master. Um, in the English um, version, which is still Japanese, but, you know, English subtitles, um, they play an instrumental of the um, I Choose You, so the, um, the first English Pokemon uh, intro. Um, great stuff. Um, yeah, they're they're being, I, I, it, yeah, they're not. So they're certainly being mature about the way, like just the feeling. There's, it, 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 it it's light in some ways, but it's gonna have some. It's gonna get a feel. It feels a little heavy at points. And you know, speaking of that video, I and I alluded to this a little bit earlier. Um, po- the Pokemon Company, when it comes to the anime, especially has been in a very weird place the last few years. Um, I forget who the like main distributor of the anime is. It might be Netflix. Um, but essentially, for the last year or so, maybe even more, like maybe even back in the Sun and Moon days, the English language Pokemon um, social media would reference events that were happening in Japan. So when Ash won the previous champion in the Alola League, and when Ash won this time, English language media was making a big deal of it, and the series or the episodes had not been dubbed at that point. 
um, which is so interesting because like, you know, years ago, they would have tried so hard to pretend that the internet didn't exist. Um, and that, you know, Ash was still half a year behind in his journey. And all of a sudden, like they're saying like, oh yeah, Ash won. It's like, Ash didn't win. Satoshi won. Ash won't win for another three months. Um, and I don't think they're going to go simuldub like you're My Hero Academia or anything, but um, like moving forward. But it's an interesting, like waving the white flag of, yeah, we know the internet exists. You're all looking at the episode guides on Serebi and on Twitter and looking at episode highlights that they'll try to remove from from YouTube, but it won't work because if you remove the music, Japan doesn't care for some reason. Um, but like, it's, it's a very weird change mm-hmm. from what Pokemon used to be with its, you know, um, you know, English Just to play. Japanese or Japanese to yeah. English. Basically the delay. Yeah. That, we, that is grown less and less and almost non-existent now. Right. That lag between being in Japan and then localizing. Not to mention how uh, we'll never get Pokemon Japanese, I feel. Which is fine. I've friend asked me once, like, yeah, how come like we don't get any simulcasts of Pokemon? And then, you know, I was always of the impression that they just don't want Pokemon in Japanese available internationally i'm wondering if doing so will change people's impression of the character i just, I mean that, that's the that's the thought that just comes to my that just popped into my mind i guess they just don't i guess it's such a small market that they figure like we're not losing that much from the fan subbers um mm-hmm. So like that, that might be well, the case. Yeah, maybe that's, yeah, just coming back to it. I mean, in terms of the generational divide of fans. In the last 10, 15 years, we're finally seeing a lot of the kids programming that we've watched in the past, as well as even kids content today coming out in Japanese or having both options. So even, even Yu-Gi-Oh! Japanese episodes have been made available legally at various points in various seasons. Obviously not the obviously not the the season 0, but like everything else has had le- various legal releases of the Japanese version mostly online. Mm-hmm. Uh Beyblade, well, Monster Rancher, uh I think Ultimate Muscle is imminent. Because they really well, of discotheque putting out the English dub for that, and, of and various might, others. Part of it Go might ahead, be just know. how many episodes of Pokemon there are at this point, where it's like, you know, if you started to say, okay, well, we'll only do journeys um, onward. I think there there might be a you know admission like yeah like let's do that and i do remember there was i think like some sort of airing glitch that happened for journeys where the japanese opening was used um (laughs) for the first two episodes or something but as far as like full subtitled release i think it's probably more effort than it's worth yeah i think that's that's what i was beginning to think i would expect that just to be online only it's a reverse version of what Discotech Media has been known to say about wanting to do dubs, 
of some of the older shows they license. They said they they say it's too much work, but so is sub so is trying to translate for subtitles. That's a lot of work too. Yes, it is. It's okay. Yes or no? Was is there a version of of the train leaving the station? We 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 just talked about uh, about why we why we the dub isn't coming out so hear me out it's more of a case of and this is my last point because i did want to keep it short our fandom has come to the point where it's almost where the sub and dub debate among the sub and dub split preference among fandom is isn't as stark as it used to be it's almost maybe i'll dare say it's practically equal Maybe it's got it's leaned towards the dub, the English side, the English speaking side, the dubs, because I think the fandom has is has grown a lot more fond of the of the English language side of it, and it's to the point where that kind of informs why going to the effort of doing doing the Japanese um, uh, releasing a Japanese language edition would be really pointless. Because this is the, because it, it it's this was part of a group, or aimed at a group that grew a taste more for English dubs anyway. So there, so really, there's no point in trying to show a Japanese subtitled version to people who probably wouldn't have wanted to watch it in the first place. Or did, did I just get too wordy, or do you want to process that, and we'll save that discussion for another time? Don't tell that comic book artist that thinks dubbing is xenophobia. <laughs> That's the answer, right? That's your answer. You got yeah, a little too wordy for me. I just, um, <laughs> and I, I, I also think that, like... Later on. Yeah, and I also think that it does, um, because, like, you know, that the artist who I mentioned, who I obviously disagree with, but, you know... Do I, I guess I respect, I don't know. Lots of complicated thoughts there, but like the one concession that he does give is that for kids anime, it should be dubbed. So when, you know, as far as the main topic today of Pokemon, like, yeah, it's always going to be dubbed into the native language of whatever country it's exported to. Um, when it comes to, you know, older Shonen and other series, then yeah, I mean, I think generally there's more dub showings for the movies and I don't so know. I don't know if it's a so huge think, like sh- like I don't, I don't think it's completely like weighted, like you know. Oh, everyone loves dub the most, but I think that there is a shift compared to what we saw in the sort of mid two thousands. And I think you just real. I think you just hit a hit a point saying, okay, there's some nuance to this thought. So let's. So we have to kind of go through that a little bit before saying yes or no. And it maybe isn't a yes or no answer, uh, Kevin. And maybe I'll leave this, leave this as a last thought, and then we'll end it off for today. Hmm. Or no? What? You, what's your thought? <laughs> you want to at least uh, weigh into this, or do you want to at least let that uh, process that and let that let that um, digest for a bit, and then we can have that? Well, clearly, that market's in the minority in terms of you know people wanting the Japanese version. It's just that. You know, it's obviously a would be nice kind of thing, but I always thought for Pokemon it was unrealistic. Okay. For the various reasons you described, and just it always just felt like with Pokemon specifically, they were always adamant about not showing 
the Japanese aspects of the show. Like they they didn't want you to think it was from Japan necessarily. And I don't even mean like the early four kids stuff. Like just it just felt like the Pokemon company was always adamant about this. Okay. That's a good way to put it. And maybe, you know, as I said, as I always say, this is a ongoing conversation, so we can continue that conversation. Maybe as the as the epilogue starts to play out and continue the conversation when Mo and James are able to come back to the table. But I do need to ask, uh, Amy, how Before are you finding Amy? Scarlet and Violet? Oh, okay. Um, I'm not that far into it. It's not grabbing me. Like, I don't think it's as, I don't think it's terrible. Like, yeah, there's, you know, the graphical issues and stuff. I, I don't know, like, the designs of this generation, I know I sound like an old lady now, but like, <laughs> the, the designs aren't, like, thrilling me, and like, I I like designs from older generations, like, there's some great stuff um, even in this one, but like the thousandth Pokemon is like the cheese string mascot mixed with the Silver Surfer. It's like, wow, it's really silly, like nothing, yeah, like so and all the stupid violet Pokemon are robots. Um, so there's secret, cool future past Pokemon when you get to the end, um, which I just know I'm not there yet. I just know about. And like all of the violet ones are like similarly, similarly designed robots. And it's so lazy. Like have some of them be holograms, have some of them be like cyborgs with mutant parts or something. Um, Like the past designs are all interesting. Like Jigglypuff is a giant head tail and fangs um volcarona is like a ground-based like moth larva but still with wings like lots of creative stuff and then all the future ones are robots um really kind of notice at times that like oh yeah pokemon still doesn't have voice acting um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. music isn't as good as the last generation it's it's fine but like sword and shield had some great um compositions in there um the the toby fox songs um undertale's creators are great so like the ray battle um song fantastic but a lot of like the overworld and regular battle themes it's nothing standing up for me it's wow. fine that's interesting to hear i have to say oh, nice review that's yeah a nice, i'm nice, one of the few people who is neutral <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the general the general opinions I hear is that yes, the game is so much fun in spite of all the technical aspects. Uh, and I've been watching some gameplay of it, so you know it's kind of pumping me up to actually play in spite of uh, my little rant last episode. Yes, I was going to play it anyway. Truth be told. Well, I have nothing really to add to the specific uh, to the review any review because obviously i don't play pokemon but i will say never truly to start mike yeah well that too i will say when i was at work a call a colleague of mine who i've become good friends with while um before we uh left work that day he was playing on an oled switch and i'd never seen one in person before so i and since i don't keep up I did not know that's a large screen. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was actually just looking at that. That, that was an impressive, uh, well, uh, I'd say an impressive piece of hardware compared to where the switch was before. So I, that, that was just an interesting, interesting looking device. 
it was the first time I ever laid my eyes on a, on an OLED LED switch. So just thought I'd put that out there. Okay. As I said, this is a conversation I'd love to continue with the others later on. And, you know, this is as much as I want to talk about tonight, today. So uh, for something that we kind of threw together this more uh, during the late hours last night and early this morning, uh, way to make something out of nothing, guys. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, and, and thanks for the time as always. Um, this might be, I have no clue if this is the last episode we're going to do before Christmas. I am so hoping we do at least one more episode before the new year. But I won't say I wish anybody Merry Christmas just yet. That's up to you, Mike. Well, we'll see. Yeah, it is up. To, yeah. So let's see what we're able to scrounge up with it in the next week. Seven days till Christmas. But in any event, that's all we have for today. So once again, if you want to contact us, animeroundtable at gmail.com, at animeroundtable, animeroundtable.com. We'll bring out the Twitch channel. We're using, we're taping this on StreamYard. It's a, probably a prelude of things to come. Twitch.tv slash animeroundtable. We promise it is a prelude. And we'll mention the YouTube channel as well. As for the podcast side, please leave us a review, if you can, on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, because good reviews might help the algorithm and maybe we'll see more listeners. Yes, it's always nice to have a five-star review. <laughs> and like I said, this is we're, we, with this episode, we've met half our quota, so hopefully we'll be able to get the second thing in within the next, oh, 13 days. But in any event... Please give us a subscribe, like, or follow on any of the platforms we're on so you can be notified when we put up something new. Also, if you have a Spotify account, please check us out. Uh, we have a playlist, so please check out the Anime Roundtable playlist for a list of music based on things we mention on this show. The theme song is entitled Fubuki Snowstorm by Pico Masaki which is the title track of her current album. You can check out more of her music at PicoInfinity.com or on Facebook at Pico Zen Music. So until next time, thanks for listening. Good night from Toronto, and join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable.